old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Yay, Tom! I love it in Flint! You're very astute, Tom. Tom, easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky team. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry. What's his name? Oh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current-day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to AmericanSchismBook.com. program. Hi, this is Gretchen Whitmer, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Walking in a winter wonderland 
Welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program, and of course, uh, as uh, we kick off the holiday season, that also means it's time to get out the skis and snowboards and head to the slopes, and 
some great information is being made available in a new book from National Geographic called A Hundred Slopes. And the author of that book is joining me by phone. Uh, Gordy Megro is, uh, is with me. Hi, Gordy. Welcome to the show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Um, Gordy, you know, I, National Geographic is, is known for these, these amazing photographs, as are included in this book, A Hundred Slopes of a Lifetime. Um, but I wonder, when you were putting, you know, working with Nat Geo and putting this book together, how many of the photographs were pulled from their library and how many had to be shot for the book? Uh, I'm pretty sure that all of these shots were, were taken um, prior to uh, the book coming out. I, I don't think anything was shot originally for it. Um, but there's some amazing photos in here. And as you said, Nat Geo has access to this incredible photo bank. Oh, yeah, it's phenomenal. I mean, they've been around for more than 100 years in, in their photography. I, I mean, the photos... The photographers get a lot of credit for taking great photos, but Nat Geo goes to uh, great extremes to do really nice reproductions. But let me ask about the selection of the slopes. How did you go about picking out a hundred slopes? Well, I've been uh, writing about skiing for a long time, and uh, I have this incredible network of uh, skiers and snowboarders who I can call upon. So I, I spent, I sent probably a hundred plus emails out and made, you know, another 50 phone calls and tapped my network and, and asked them what uh, ski areas and which trails they thought deserved to be in a book like this. And they got back to me with, uh, you know, hundreds of trails, hundreds of suggestions uh, that I winnowed down into this book, um, you know, sort of trying to, uh, hit every every note I could uh, uh, and give a, a really good geographic representation of, of skiing and snowboarding, uh, uh, you know, hitting every region and, and every corner of the world. Well, and that's another thing about Nat Geo is, is a lot of times there are these images of places we're likely to never go in our lifetimes. Yeah. But one of the things that I was curious about, um, some of these things are pretty dramatic. What about proficiency level? Are, are there recommendations about certain slopes that would be good for beginners and more intermediate um, level skiers, uh, you know, people that just occasionally go as opposed to people that, you know, ski all the time and are really good <clears throat> skiers? Yeah, I broke it down into uh, intermediate, advanced, and expert trails. So there are certainly intermediate, uh, lots of intermediate uh, trails in this book that uh, are accessible to, uh, you know, I would say even beginner skiers. There's um, there's trails with very little uh, pitch that um, uh, actually some of some of the cooler trails in this book are some of the intermediate trails with very little pitch, but uh, they go on for a very long way, or they have, and they have these incredible views. And um, on some of them, you can stop halfway down the trail and get a delicious meal. Um, there's one in uh, 
uh, Switzerland, for example, where you can stop along the way and, you know, eat uh, uh, regional food and, um, you know, maybe even have a, a little drink of something. And then uh, you can continue the rest of the way down. But there, there are some really uh, great, you know, really great uh, uh, intermediate, even beginner type trails in this book. What about the difference between skiing and snowboarding? Can can skiers and snowboarders uh, hit the same slopes? For the most part, there's every trail in this book. Um, well, except for the cross country skiing trails, of course, uh, snowboarders would be able to to go on. Except for uh, three ski areas that are in the book: um, Alta. Deer Valley and Mad River Glen, which are the three ski areas in the world, I think, that don't allow snowboarding. Um, Gordy, you were born and raised in Vermont. You live in Colorado now. Those are both great places to ski. Um, what are some other places around the U.S. that are that are good for skiing? <clears throat> wow. Well, I. I lived, yeah, I grew up in Vermont um, and, and live in Colorado now, but I've lived in New Mexico and um, uh, spent a lot of time skiing at Taos, which is a great ski area, and that's in the book. Um, I have, uh, I lived in uh, Jackson Hole, Wyoming for uh, eight years, and um, Jackson Hole is, of course, a great place and, and actually has some great cross-country skiing as well, which is in the book. Um I love skiing in Utah because the snow, when it when it's consistent, the snow is some of the best snow you'll ski anywhere in the world. Um, Alta and Snowbird are in the book. Uh, Powder Mountain and Snow Basin are in the book. Um, Deer Valley made the book. Um, so, uh, and Park City Resort is also in the book. Those are all great ski areas. Um, California has great skiing. Um, and then you guys have a, an incredible mountain. Um, at Mount Bohemia. Um, so there's, there's tons of ski areas all over the world. And, you know, I think everybody can ha can enjoy skiing at, uh, in some way, no matter where they live. Uh, sometimes it, that obviously involves a, a flight, but sometimes it's right in your backyard. Um, um, you know, right in, uh, uh, New England or, or the Midwest or the Rockies. Yeah, it's funny. You don't think of California and New Mexico as being great places to ski, but they do have places that are are great for skiing. Taos is, is I think, one of the great ski areas maybe in the world um, uh, in New Mexico. And, yeah, California, the, the ski areas around Lake Tahoe are, are incredible. Um, and they, you know, they can be, they're sort of feast or famine. They get a lot of snow sometimes, and sometimes they're pretty thin. But when it does snow in Lake Tahoe, it's, it's, um, it's spectacular. More about skiing and snowboarding with National Geographic contributor Gordy Magro. Straight ahead. Everybody's doing a brand new dance now. Hi, this is Mark Farner, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. 
I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can. Keep wearing masks correctly and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19 and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. Discoveries. They happen when we least expect them in places we thought we knew. And discoveries have a way of teaching us a little more about ourselves along the way. Welcome to Flint and Genesee County, where up north meets down south. Home to Michigan's largest county park system and a vibrant culture. A place filled with discoveries we've yet to make. Throughout acres of beautiful lakes, wetlands, and woods, and in the diverse city beyond where the uplifting melodies of gospel choirs fill the air, where the work of renowned artists color the galleries and museums, where the fresh fruits and vegetables at the downtown farmer's market awaken our senses, and where the cultural center and planetarium broaden our view of the world. Let's spend a few days enjoying the wonders of Flint and Genesee County, where the joy of discovery is pure Michigan. Your trip begins at michigan.org. Technical assistance for the Tom Sumner Program is provided by Swiftlet Technology, engineering and IT services at swiftlet.technology. I know of a place where you never get harmed, a magical place with magical charms, indoors, indoors, indoors. 
Dan Newman. From Arisha. Bertrand. <laughs> and the Tom Sumner Program. More about skiing and snowboarding with National Geographic contributor Gordy Megro straight ahead. What about the, the quality of, of snow and and real snow versus artificial snow? Is Does it make a real big difference? Well, yeah, I mean, artificial snow or man-made snow is, is great um, when you are uh, when you don't have snow, I mean, you, you need something to ski on and it can be a little bit, it can feel a little bit different. Um, it can get a little bit icier, um, uh, real snow, uh, you know, when it's fresh, that's when we get to powder ski and that's, uh, a spectacular feeling. It's, it's amazing to, to feel like you're floating through floating down a trail. But, um, even when that snow gets packed down, uh, yeah, it can feel, it can feel a little drier and a little bit, uh, uh, more forgiving, I guess. Um, but, uh, I think, you know, it's, <laughs> skiers are lucky and we as skiers and snowboarders are lucky that they were able to come up with something like artificial snowmaking because, uh, uh, it's sometimes it really saves us during the winter. <laughs> sometimes it allows us. Sometimes it's the difference between skiing and not skiing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there's that, of course. Um, But let me let me ask you this: Did um, did skiing and and ski resorts take the same hit as everybody else did last year during the the quarantines uh, over COVID? The skier is actually did surprisingly well. Um, they, there were a lot of rules in place all over the country uh, to do it safely or as safely as possible. Um, I know in uh, Jackson, Wyoming, and here in Aspen, Colorado, um, you had to wear masks in lift lines and on gondolas and chairlifts um, and inside any of the buildings. So actually... I think that people were so hungry to go ski and go do something. Uh, the ski area has uh, experienced a lot of uh, traffic and, and actually did, did well, um, almost to the point where they were a little overwhelmed at points. Um, are there changes this year? Um, will some of those protocols still be in place this year, do you think? I think some skiers will keep the same protocols. Um, I think that it's it's going to be uh, a little bit. They're, they're loosening them a little bit at, at some places. Um, for example, at, at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort, they they were only filling the the hundred person tram to half capacity last year, and this year it'll be full capacity again. Um, so. I think we're going to start seeing things come back to normal a bit, uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if uh, they make the executive decision at some point to pull that back. I know that here in Colorado, we're already um, seeing a lot of uh, uh, higher higher cases of COVID again, so I'm not sure if they're. I'm sure you know the the, the, the ski areas, the the management at these places, they're they do a a pretty good job. Um, 
you know, reacting to what's going on. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we go back to some sort of situation where it's uh, social distancing and half capacity and things like that. Is climate change having an impact on um, the quality of ski areas and, and maybe even where ski areas are, are going to be in the future? Yeah, climate change is having a huge impact on on skiing in general. Obviously, like you know, we <clears throat> it just uh, the snow is way more unpredictable than it used to be, um, and um, uh, it's not just uh, it's not just uh, that we're getting less snow. In in some cases, we're getting more snow, which scientists will tell you is a, a direct effect of climate change. Um, but um, the snow can be more unpredictable, so the, the avalanche. Yeah, uh, right, we're getting are, we're getting more yeah. snow, but in shorter blasts. Yeah, it's. I I can't, I I'm not going to sit here and try to pretend to know what the science is behind that. But, <laughs> um, my under my understanding is that yes, we in some cases we get more snow, in some cases we get less snow, in some cases. You know the seasons seem to be shifting, um, but um, it makes this the, it makes it uh, a harder to manage for a ski area. Of course, um, you started uh, the, Gordy. Got, you started to say yeah. something about um, risks from avalanches. Yeah, the, these ski areas out here have to um, you know be more cognizant of of how the snow is um, the snowpack is being affected by climate change. So, um, you know, the, the, uh, there are more cases of avalanches. Um, and one of the, um, thoughts is that that has to do with climate change. Um, and, um, you know, we're, we're getting these warming cycles, um, that, um, make the snow less stable. So, uh, they really have to be on their game as far as, uh, uh, avalanche mitigation goes out out here in the Rockies and California and you know up up in Canada um, and all over the world really they they really have to be um, uh, on top of that uh, stay on top of that and really uh, do a lot of a lot more avalanche mitigation because um, uh, because of cl- well supposedly because of climate change and um, you know I, I think it's you're seeing a lot more of these um, ski indoor ski areas pop up um, in various places around the world. I, I guess that's an answer to, to some of this, but you know, you, you do have this idea that those, those indoor ski areas produce a lot of greenhouse gases. So, um, you know, I, I'm not sure what the solution is other than to be better stewards and, and not, um, uh, produces so so many greenhouse gases that are are causing uh, uh, global warming. As you were, you've written about skiing for a long time. Um, what is there still stuff you can learn? Did you learn things while you were putting together this book? Yeah, I learned a lot about skiing. I, I I'd say that I've ski actually skied at. Um, maybe 20, 25 uh, ski areas uh, in this book. I had to obviously rely on a lot of 
other experts to help me fill out this list because it would have been hard to hit all these ski areas. But um, as I was uh, researching the book, I, I learned a, a ton about some traditions and cult, ski cultures all over the world. Uh, um, I knew nothing about the ski culture in Greece, for example, um, that there's a, a, a quite a vibrant backcountry ski culture there. Um, I learned, uh, you know, that this one man, Emil L.A., was responsible for cutting a lot of these great trails all over the world that we love to ski. Um, so there were, <clears throat> there were a lot of things that I learned um, uh, as I was going through this. And I, I think that, you know, even if you are a, a hardcore skier, when you read this book, you will come away learning quite a bit about skiing. Did you end up with some new sites on your bucket list? Yeah, I really want to uh, go ski Gulmarg, India, um, which uh, it, it's this, uh, you know, it's it's one of the highest ski areas in the world, almost 14,000 feet. Um, but uh, it's also, um, uh, you know, it has this incredible uh, culture up there, uh, just a very unique uh, situation uh, being in Kandahar. And um, it's also it also gets in, uh, a ton of snow, um, and uh, I think um, you know over five hundred five hundred inches a year, and has these wow. big long slopes that you can um, powder ski down thirty five degrees or so, um, and and views you know views that can't be matched of K two and some of the other Himalaya mountains, so. Um, yeah, that's one. And then um, Engelberg, Engelberg, Switzerland is another. Um, there's a, a another big, long trail, almost 4,000 vertical feet at, um, in Engelberg that um, uh, is, you know, a lot of the skiers that I spoke to said it's the perfect powder run. And so when they get snow, you head to this one trail called Laub and <clears throat> ski it, and it says you, you – one of the uh, ski professional skiers I spoke to said, you know, you're, you're skiing down this trail and you're just totally elated. And then you're realizing that it's not stopping. It's just going on forever and ever <laughs> and ever. <laughs> that's, that's funny. Is breathing an issue at, in higher altitude skiing? If you're coming from low altitude, you're, there's an adjustment. Um, I, yeah, I, I certainly experienced that where I'm going from, you know, I lived on, I grew up in Vermont, of course, and lived on the East Coast for a long time. So when I would go out West and ski, um, I would always, it would always take a couple days for me to, to get it, to become acclimated and, and sort of feel like I was breathe, breathing easily again. But it's, for most people, it's not that big a deal. You just, sort of adjust you want to drink a lot of water obviously what is uphilling uh uphilling is a growing trend in the ski world in which um you know it's it's sort of a, a sister to backcountry skiing but uh uphilling is something that you really do at a ski area um a lot of uh ski areas have uh uphilling policies now so you can either go before the lifts open or after the lifts close, or uh, some of them have uh, a designated trails that you 
wind through as you're going up. And it's, it's really, it's just using lightweight <clears throat> uphill ski equipment. And you put a, uh, what we call a skin on the bottom of the ski and the, the, um, heel of the ski releases, the heel of the binding releases. So you can, it's as though you're, you're trekking up the hill on your skis. Um, your skis will stick to the snow so they don't slide backwards, but glide forward. So, um, sort of like cross country skiing, but going uphill. And, um, uh, it's just a, it's a great workout. It's, it's really good for exercise, cardio exercise, but it, then you, you know, you're paying, obviously in some cases you're not paying anything to go skin up the ski area. Some, some ski areas charge a, a very nominal fee, but, um, you're skinning up the ski area and then you get to the top and, um, your skis, uh, transform back into a, a downhill, uh, uh, ski setup, <clears throat> and then you're able to to ski down the ski trails. And speaking of uh, equipment, Gordy, what um, what are things that that people should uh, have and and know about to to be prepared for the season? Well, <clears throat> it really depends on what you're planning on doing, but. Um, I, you obviously, um, I I think the most important piece of equipment that any skier can have is a, is a good pair of boots that fits you properly. So I always recommend that people have their own, their own boots, um, that are, uh, fitted by a boot fitter. And then when you go to these various places, you can always rent skis, which I think is the way to go because, um, you know, you, if you're, Let's say you live in Michigan, you might have one pair of skis for, for some of the um, skier, ski areas that you ski in Michigan, but they're probably not going to be quite right for the ski areas that you ski out west or in Europe or, or um, you know, if you are lucky enough to make it to Japan to ski, um, you want a wider ski. So <clears throat> I always recommend that people go and rent skis where the, when they get to those uh, destinations and um, that when they do that, they're going to have a way better time on those rented skis that are, uh, uh, you know, that, that are there. They rent those skis in those places because they're best for those places. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. I wouldn't have thought of that, Gordy, but it, that pro- plus it probably makes it a little easier traveling when you don't have to carry a pair of skis on the plane. Much, much easier. <laughs> yeah. There's not, Nothing worse than than traveling with a pair of skis. I, I've done it uh, a lot of my life, but uh, if I have the opportunity to um, to go get a you know get a pair of skis when I get to the the ski area that I'm traveling to, it makes life a lot easier. For people who haven't done a lot of skiing, but but see people skiing, you know, see video of people skiing and think it 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 looks like fun, something that they'd like to get into. Is it expensive comparatively to other things like, I don't know, playing golf? Yeah, I think skiing is, is definitely one of the more expensive sports out there. Um, a lift ticket at uh, a lot of these ski areas is pretty crazy these days. Um, you know, some of them are over $200 for just for a day. Um, but 
Um, there are some ways around it. There, you can buy some of these um, uh, tickets that uh, are good at uh, several different ski areas and cost a little bit less. You know that some of the ski areas have some programs to get into skiing, to get interested in the sport. Um, that are that's a little bit cheaper, um, and uh, offer you sort of a package deal on rental equipment and um, uh, a lift ticket, and uh, sometimes even you know like travel, like a like a bus fare or something. So there are some easier, cheaper ways to get into it, but. Yeah, I mean, it it is going to be a little bit more expensive than most sports. Um, golf might be, you know, I know that golf golf course fees can be pretty expensive too. But um, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's not cheap. You have to sort of be committed, um, and you, I think, to make it worthwhile, you want to be on the slopes, you know, twenty days a year if you can. Is is that a kind of an average for? avid skiers to get 20 days a year yeah i i think it ranges i think for those of us who live near ski areas we'll we'll get you know 50 60 70 some people you know claim that they get over 100 days a year on the on the hill um which is amazing i i don't know that i've ever skied 100 days in a year but i've probably come pretty close on some some seasons um uh, I would say for the weekend warrior, people who live in cities and um, make it up when they can, I'd say somewhere between, you know, 5, 10, 15, somewhere in that range is is probably average. In this, uh, in this book that you did with National Geographic, 100 Slopes of a Lifetime by uh, Gordy Megro with um, forward by Lindsey Vaughn, um, it, it focuses on the world's ultimate ski and snowboard destinations. But do you give any kind of um, tips and, and reviews about uh, equipment and trends in skiing, or is it really destination-driven, this, this particular collection? This is really destination-driven. What I was trying to do with this book is uh, give people an idea of what, some of the, uh, you know, great ski areas and great trails are out there in the world um, and sort of inspire people to, to try to go ski some of them. Um, I, yeah, I, I just, you know, I love to ski and, and I, I love, you know, sharing my experiences and sharing my knowledge with people about skiing. Um, and, and I was just hoping with this book to, put together a list that people could look at and say, wow, that looks, that sounds great. I'd love to go ski that someday. Are there some good resources for, for people to explore that, that maybe haven't skied or haven't skied a lot, but would like to ski more that has information about equipment and, and things they need to do to uh, become better skiers? There, the the various magazines that cover um, skiing um, do a decent job sometimes at at uh, letting people know what where to go and and what to see and how to learn to be better skiers. Um, I uh, 
you know, I, I would recommend going directly to some of these ski areas. Um, if you have a ski area that you uh, are interested in going to, you could you can give them a call and tell them, you know, here's here's my level of, of knowledge and, and here's what I'm looking for. And a lot of times they can connect you with people who can um, tell you uh, what you need to know uh, as far as your uh, a possible trip goes, as far as what you should be working on before you get there. Um, if you are a more experienced skier and you want to go do something that's a little bit more uh, outside your uh, particular uh, um, If you're looking for a challenge. Yeah, if you're looking for a challenge, you could always... There are great guides out there. There are amazing guides in all these places all over the world. And I recommend you know, calling guides and saying, this is what I'm looking to do. Um, you know, can you, can you help me get to where I need to be so that I can go do this trip with you, go, go ski some of these, uh, ski areas or some of these, some of this backcountry terrain with you. Is, is there, do you have any tips, um, before I make this trip? They're an excellent resource and they are more than willing to help. Well, Gordy, what's what's next for you? Do you have another uh, book or some more writing in the works, or are you uh, taking the winter off to hit the slopes? <laughs> I, I don't have any books uh, on the horizon. I'm I'm back to working on magazine stories at the moment, um, and I yeah, I plan to do a lot of skiing this year. Um, uh, hopefully, we'll be able to organize some trips uh, to go. Uh, you know, I ha- I've not, uh, because of the pandemic, I've, I've not been able to really do any far-flung trips uh, uh, in, I guess, two years. So I'm hoping to, uh, you know, maybe get on an airplane and go ski something a little bit farther away from me. Are there a couple in the book that uh, that are calling your name? Yeah, I mean... That that trail at Engelberg, I can't stop thinking about it. The, the wow, that that big long powder descent. I saw it. I, I I I'm not joking when I tell you that I think about that trail at least once a week. Well, Gordy, I uh, appreciate talking with you, and and the book is absolutely phenomenal. It's uh, 100 Slopes of a Lifetime. Let me get the uh, subtitle in here, too. The World's Ultimate Ski and Snowboard Destinations by Gordy Magro. Um, Gordy, I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you and your work, past, present, and future. Do you have a website? Yeah, my website is just my first name and last name.com, so gordymagro.com. And I'm on social media at Gordy Magro, just my, my first and last name. Well, Gordy, thanks so much, and keep up the good work. Thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it. Take care. The name of the book is, uh, again, 100 Slopes of a Lifetime, and it's um, from National Geographic and author Gordy Magro. We'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Hello there, citizens. Darkwing Duck here. And every time I'm in Flint fighting crime, I always stop by the Tom Sumner program. Don't forget, stay dangerous. Darkwing Duck out. 
While we've been staying safe at home, scientists have been on a journey. The destination, a COVID-19 vaccine. This journey began decades ago with research into other coronaviruses. Scientists built from there with months of research and development, cooperation with other experts worldwide, and clinical trials on tens of thousands of volunteers of diverse race, age, and health status. They arrived at a safe, effective vaccine, and hundreds of thousands in Michigan have already been vaccinated. But the next step is ours. We need to get the vaccine when we can, keep wearing masks correctly, and taking precautions until we reach our destination, freedom from COVID-19, and getting back to the lives we love. Discover the facts for yourself at michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Say, objection. I object. I object to that, Your Honor. Oh, hi, Mom. What's up? Dana, what are you doing? Oh, you know, just um, attorney general stuff. Listen, I have a legal question. What is it, Mom? I just got a call from the water company. Apparently, your father has not been paying the bill. I guess they're going to turn the water off because we owe more than $1,000 now. Can you believe it? Actually, I can't. So, listen. We just have to send them $200 in Edible Arrangements gift cards, and that will keep the water on. Now, here's the legal question. What is the website for Edible Arrangements? Mom, it's an imposter scam. Imposter scam? Is that .com or .edu? No, the call was a scam. Scammers will pretend to be a government agency or a utility company or someone else you might do business with. A big red flag is if they tell you that you can pay them using gift cards. So when in doubt, ask for the information to be sent to you in writing. And never give a caller or someone you don't know your personal information or your money. If you do suspect an imposter scam, report it to my office at mi.gov slash agcomplaints. Okay, all right. And Dana, where do I file a complaint that my daughter hasn't visited in over a month? Does your office have a website for that? Okay, Mom, I'm hanging up now. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. The Tom Sumner Program has hosted live candidate forums for local, state, and national offices at bars, restaurants, coffee shops, and colleges. Armchair Politics has gone to Lansing, Frankenmuth, Birch Run, and Hell. Hell, Michigan, that is. We've done shows all the way to the Mighty Mac and back to the bricks. We've done remotes from a baseball stadium in Lansing, a grocery store opening in Flint, and from a moving train. We'd like you to tell us where to go next. You can write to us at TomSumnerProgram.com, call us at 810-339-8255, or contact us on Facebook. This is your chance to tell the Tom Sumner Program where to go.
Katie. Lucy. Delfina. Tamaya. Sammy. Lauren. Maya. Raya. Riley. Ella. Gabby. Emma. Alyssa. And the Tom Sumner Program. This is U.S. Senator Gary Peters, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program. There was one time I really wanted revenge. Revenge. Telling you right now, boy, I hated that guy so much. And I got it. Got it good. See, I, I had a snowball in my hand. And uh, I was going to hit Harold with the snowball, see. So Harold was coming down the street, and I was laughing to myself because I know how funny Harold is, see. Every time you hit him with a snowball in the face, plop, he always says the same thing. He says, hey, man, what you want to hit me in the face with a snowball for, man? You know, and I just laugh. Ah. So I'm just waiting for him, man. I got this light, fluffy snowball, you know, ready to hit him. And that's the rules of the game. You cannot hit a kid in the face with a slush ball. Slush ball, is, it has ice and water and gunk all in it, you know. And you can't hit a kid in the face with it. You cannot drop into those open galoshes either because it sends him home. You know, hey, what do you want to drop into the galoshes for? You know. So, uh, I'm tickled to death, man, because I know it's a plop. Hey, man, what you want to eat? And he's about three feet away, and I raise up to hit him. Something on the side of the face, and it was stinging. And all the juice ran down in my underwear and everything. And it was ice all in my ear. Somebody hit me on the side of the face with a slush ball. And I looked around one eye. And there's old Junior Barnes just to laugh at me. Cosby, I got you good. I hit you real good, didn't I? And I said, hey, man, what you want to hit me in the side of the face with a slush ball for, man? And I picked up a snowball and I threw it at him and I missed him. And he started running. I said, Junior Barnes, you come back. And I chased him. I threw another one at him. I couldn't catch him. And I cursed at him. I was so mad. You gunky! You stink! Junior Barnes, you gun, come back here, I'll put you right about. <laughs> Hit somebody in the face with a such ball, let all that stuff go down in your underwear. <laughs> and I didn't even care. I just sat right down in the snow. I was so mad. And it started to melt. <laughs> right through my four pair of corduroys. <laughs> and I didn't even care. Because I know when I go home, the only thing my mother is talking about, you dummy, how come you sit down in the snow and let it just melt right through your four pair of corduroys? Yeah, Bob, well, what do you care? That's all you care about. Somebody sit down in the snow and let it melt right through your four pair of corduroys. You don't care that a junior bar hit me on the side of the face with a sledge ball and let all the gunk go down on my underwear. Because if you didn't care, you'd go out and get him. <laughs> I'm going to get Junior Barnes. I'm gonna get you, Junior Barnes, boy, I'm gonna get you. And I started to make a snowball for Junior Barnes. I make a snowball that's so round and so perfect. It's got a little name inscribed, says, 
Junior Barnes. And I went out looking for Junior Barnes. Junior Barnes. You gunky. Oh, Junior Barnes. And I couldn't find him. And it was 7.30. I have to get home before the monsters come out. And I took that snowball home. And I put it in the freezer. And I waited. July. <laughs> July 12th. My birthday. It was 104 degrees in the shade. Not a snowball in sight. Junior Barnes was sitting on the steps in front of my house. I was standing there with him. I had gone to great lengths to prove to Junior Barnes that I was his greatest friend. Let him drink out of my orange soda bottle without even wiping it off. And old Junior Barnes just sitting there telling his little jokes. Ah, and I was laughing right with him. Junior Barnes, you are so funny. Ah. And I said, Junior Barnes, I'm going to the house and get an orange soda for us. You just wait right here. Ah, you gunky. And I walked in the house and opened that freezer door and my mother had thrown the snowball away. So I went back outside and I spit on him. This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord, and this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Mm -hmm. 
Alexander Zanjic, don't touch that dial. You're listening to Tom Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. 